In case you haven't noticed, uh, we are a diverse Christian community that gets to worship in this beautiful synagogue of Congregation Beth Jacob. We have their rabbi with us today. Uh, yes. You'll hear more about this, but uh, when I said to him a couple of weeks ago, thank you for hosting us in your beautiful synagogue week after week after week, he said to me, uh, we are not hosting you in our synagogue. Uh, we are sharing this, this building with you. It should be your home, even as it is our home. Isn't that amazing? Come on. That's... Many of you may know that Christianity figuratively and literally uh, uh, was born out of the womb of Judaism. One week on the other side of Christmas, Jesus, Jewish, uh, Mary and Joseph were Jewish, uh, all of the early disciples, uh, and the Apostle Paul, all first were Jewish uh, the, what we call the Old Testament portion of our Bible is their Hebrew Bible. The first five books of that Bible they refer to as Torah. Uh, when we do communion, it is good to remember that Jesus instituted that uh, experience for us after participating in the Passover meal, which is a uniquely Jewish uh, experience. And so figuratively and literally, we come forth from the womb of uh, Judaism. It is a pleasure and a joy to have you here. Uh, this rabbi invited me to speak to at all three of uh, their Sabbath services, and I'm so delighted to uh, bring you as a friend and as a partner. But before I do, I want to introduce your wife, who's Mimi here, and Ethan, his son. Would you two just stand, and can we just celebrate in a really wonderful way? And with that, my friend, welcome Thank you. to NBCC. Bless you. Come on, let's go. And a really warm welcome. How grateful we are. NBCC, welcome here. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I am so glad to be here. And in Judaism, what we do to mark a moment is we say a blessing. And what a blessing does is it reminds you what the moment's about and reminds you what the moment might be that you're overlooking. So there's a moment, there's a blessing that's said when you reach something new. I want you to share that with me because I think this is new for both of us. Let's say the blessing, Baruch Ata Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam shehecheyanu vikiyamanu vihiyanu lazman hazeh. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, sovereign of all, who's kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this moment. Amen. Amen. It's incredible to think about this moment. And what's interesting for me is, you know, I've done this sermon twice already, but each time I'm present in the moment, I realize that there's so much more that I may not have seen. 
that blessing actually can be summarized in one Hebrew word. And I'm going to teach it to you. And whenever we see each other, we're going to say the word. The word is hineni. Come on. Hineni. Means here I am. Here I am. I am fully present to God, to one another, to the, the moment and all that it means. And when I think about saying, Hineni, here I am, when I say, thank God for letting me come to this moment, I want to share a bit of why this moment is a new moment for me. This is a new moment for me because I've never preached to a church in my 24 years here from this pulpit. You know, I've been excited about this next one. This is a new moment for me because I've never preached from this pulpit not wearing a tie. And if my mother's watching on live stream, ha! (laughs) This is a new moment for me. Because heavens knows my synagogue doesn't stand up and give me applause before I speak. (laughs) Listen, for me to be able to talk from this pulpit that's truly, I have 24 years I've been here. A place that's been such joy for me, such blessing for me, such learning for me, such connection for me, such sharing of joy and pain. And to bring you into this community that means so much for me, thank God that I'm here right now to say to you, that us sharing this building is a blessing. Amen. Amen. Pastor Herman quoted me correctly, which often doesn't happen. (laughs) You are not here as our guests. You don't rent this space. We don't allow you to use it. We share this space, and it is your home. And even though we may come to God in different ways, it's the same God to whom we come and before whom we stand. And to have people who come to God in different ways share a space actually is greater than the sum of the parts. You worshiping here and we worshiping here on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and every other time that we're here makes this place a true house of God. Thank you for helping me realize the vision of what this home can be. Thank you, God, for letting me be at this moment where I can celebrate that. I want to tell you a little bit about this synagogue's history. It's an interesting history. Not a lot of Jews lived on the peninsula in the 1920s. The community congregated in San Francisco and San Jose, where there were larger pockets of community. You want to be with people who share your faith. And the groups that were here felt a need to come together. So a handful of families started to worship in people's homes. And then they said, you know, I think we have enough that we can form a synagogue. So in 1930, in Menlo Park, they incorporated, they created Congregation Beth Jacob, 
At another time, I'll come and talk to you about what that name means in a deeper way. And these people created the first synagogue between San Francisco and San Jose. They were the children as well as people who came over from Poland and Russia. This handful of people had three chicken farmers and one cabinet maker. And then it moved here in 1952. Rabbi David Teitelbaum, my predecessor, served here for 38 years. He still comes from time to time when he's able. He's a blessing. A huge piece of this synagogue's history was in 1965 when Rabbi Teitelbaum went to Selma and marched with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for civil rights. And this synagogue is proud of that legacy. It's proud of saying we're a place that stands for social justice, drawing upon the message of the prophets. We're a synagogue that stands for Talmud Torah, for learning. We're a place that stands for worship, for listening to God, for creating, for innovating. This synagogue that I walked into was a thriving and extraordinary community. And to become the rabbi here is such a privilege. And it's a privilege that I thank God that I am privileged to do. To be able to follow your calling and your soul. What a blessing. I'm blessed. I'm blessed with this community. I'm blessed with an extraordinary family. I'm blessed with love. I'm blessed by being the young rabbi who walked in and people don't like it when things change. And boy, was I received and embraced by my predecessor and by everybody who was here. When I first got here, this place had soul, but the building was falling apart. You only needed, and I didn't do this, to go into the woman's bathroom. And I'm told that above one of the stalls, they put a sign that said, give a good flush. If there's a sign that says, give a good flush above the toilet, it's time for renovations. <laughs> and people were afraid, Rabbi, we can't raise that kind of money. We never have. Boy, Rabbi, when we rebuilt, and I'll tell you more about that, it just took too much out of us. Rabbi, the economy doesn't look real good right now. Let's wait. But there were people of faith and vision who came together and said, let's reimagine what this place can be. Let's create a physical space that supports the spiritual work. By the way, they did not teach me in rabbinical school how to build a synagogue. I did spend a summer, my father's in real estate, doing construction, and all I got was a thumb that throbbed from hitting it with the hammer. So I stayed far away from the building plans. But I did say, I want one thing, and everyone said, amen. I want there to be verses over every entryway. I want this to be a place of learning and a place of God. And I actually want to invite all of you, in the weeks to come, to go stand at various places where there are verses. And I want you to ask yourself how that verse touches you. And let this be a place where God's word that we share inspires every day.
I love taking people on a tour of the verses. By the way, there are a few empty spots on the wall by the office. That's because I wanted us to be able to continue to add new verses as they move us. I want to hear the verse you want me to put up there, Pastor. I want to hear from all of you. Verses touch you in different ways. And there was one spot, there was one spot I was really concerned about. An ark makes a statement. We put the Torah in that ark. The five books of Moses, God's word. And I wanted there to be inspiration when people opened the ark. This ark was done, but we built a new ark in the sanctuary. You guys come into this building and often those doors are closed. I opened them up today and I want them open up all the time. Because that is a beautiful space. And I wrote the synagogue saying, I want to know what you feel should be the verse that's above the Torah. And this is one where I want to be careful with this one. The president at the time was inspirational, incredible. He did the hard work to get this building done. But this was one where we disagreed. I said, I'm going to send out a note to the shul asking them, what should the verse be? And he said to me, Nat, five people will respond. He said, they don't really care. They, you know, they want you to decide. And I said, no. And I sent out that note. I gave some thoughts. I had been talking and doing a series on Hineni, on being present. And overwhelmingly, people wrote back and said, just write Hineni. So I want you to go into that room after this service Open the ark. By the way, it's a little scary. Don't be scared. The doors slide open. And there's Hineni. It's, it's mounted on beautiful Jerusalem stone. So there's Israel. There's I am here. I am present. Hineni. And I hope that by the end of my talk today, that the word resonates even more powerfully because I think it's one of the most important religious words for our time. The first verse I want to share with you is from Exodus, Exodus 3. And this is where Moses is tending to the flock of Jethro in Midian. And he led the flock behind the wilderness. I don't know what that means, behind the wilderness, but it's the direct translation. He comes to the mountain of God, which is probably where they also received Torah, to Chorev, and there he sees something odd. He sees a bush that's not odd on fire. That's not odd. Bushes catch fire in the desert all of the time. It's hot. The thistle's parched. But there was something extraordinary about what he saw. The bush kept on being engulfed in flame and the fire didn't go out. The bush was blazed and the bush was not consumed. And it's only then that God says, I'm going to ask him. It's only then when God turns to him and says, Moshe, Moshe, and Moses says, Hineni, Hineni. So I want you to think about what this little section teaches us about Hineni. To say Hineni to someone, to a moment, means you have to pay attention. 
burning bushes happen all the time. But a burning bush that doesn't extinguish, that's a miracle. But if you're looking away to the next burning bush, you miss the miracle. If you're saying, ugh, burning bushes happen all the time, you miss the miracle. God wanted a leader who paid attention. God wanted a leader who would see the extraordinary in the ordinary. God wanted a leader who would open his eyes and truly see and respond with heart. Hineni. By the way, Hineni doesn't appear a lot in the sacred scriptures. But there's one story, and it's the first story it appears. This story, it appears three times. And actually, in the story, the English translations don't capture the repetition of the word. It's one of the things where you have to read it in the original. And as you read it in the original, you start to understand that the story's telling us about Hineni. By the way, I want you to know this is the story that the Jewish people read on Rosh Hashanah, the new year. And it's interesting that we read the story on the new year because it's a story that I've got a lot of dissonance with. I read this story and it's like, oh, not again. And then I say, oh, I need this story. Let's take a look at it. It's Genesis 22. In this text, we read that it happened... After these things, God tested Abraham. By the way, you should be asking, after what? I don't know. God tested him. Why? I don't know. Here's what God said. Abraham. And Abraham said what? Hineni. Hineni. When God calls, Abraham says Hineni. But look what he said Hineni to. By the way, be careful what you say Hineni to. Pray, take your son, your only one whom you love, Isaac. Go forth to the land of Moriah, the place of seeing. Offer him up as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall show you. God, you get to ask for anything, but you can't ask for my son. How could God ask for this? Is this a God that I want to affirm? I read this text every year on Rosh Hashanah, and there are years when I simply feel like crying. How could Abraham have said he nay to this? The Abraham who I know fights. The Abraham who I know, when God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, says, well, come on, God, that's not right. Are you going to destroy the just with the wicked? What if they're 50, 40, 30, 20? I mean, this is chutzpah. Where's Abraham's arguing here? Who is he? Who has he become? And maybe I need to struggle with this story even more. Maybe I need to say that this is a story of a man who so trusted his relationship with God that he did that which seems to make no sense. Maybe this is a story of a man who could see beyond what I could see and knew that Hineni was the response to that moment. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe this is a man who learned a different response to God 
as the story goes on. I believe that this is a story of developing faith. So let's move forward in the story. Whatever doubts he may have, he follows God's command. He and Isaac leave the two lads at the bottom of the hill. He splits the wood. They get up. They're going to the spot. Could you imagine walking up that mountain? The text doesn't tell us the emotion or the thoughts. And every year I read the story, even I know how it ends, but I'm trembling. What's going to happen? And then I think the whole story changes. Isaac turns to his father and he says, Avi, my father. By the way, that's what my children call me. They call me Abba. And when I see Abba, I perk up. And what does Abraham say? He says, Hineni Bini. Here I am, my son. If you open your NIV, or the Torah that's in front of you, the JPS, it doesn't translate it as here I am. It translated it as yes. My father, yes, my son. That translation doesn't get that Moses is at a moment of extraordinary presence to Isaac. And I think that it's his presence to his son that changes the whole story. Sometimes when we feel we're doing the divine call, we're blind to the people who are calling us. And I think that Abraham's spiritual greatness is that he's doing God's call. Abraham, Abraham, here I am. But he stops in the middle of the task and turns to his son. And he doesn't just say, Hineni, here I am. Hineni, Bini, here I am, my son. My beloved boy. And the story moves on. The story moves on. And it becomes more terrifying. More frightening. The two of them go up the mountain together. Abraham binds Isaac to the altar. He lifts up the knife above him. And I think, as I read the story, that the seed for a different response to God, the seed of saying, don't offer him, has been planted in his soul because he had said hineni to Isaac. His hineni to Isaac changed him. And when the angel cries out, Abraham, Abraham, he says, hineni, don't sacrifice that boy. Don't touch the boy. Note how quickly the story shifts from sacrifice him to don't sacrifice him. God doesn't want this sacrifice. Just the opposite. God wants love. God wants life. And I think the text is teaching us that by having him then see what he did not previously see. By the way, what did he then see? The ram. The ram that's caught in the thicket. It's hard to miss a ram who's having a fit with his horns in the thorns. But Abraham didn't see it. 
He was too intent on doing God's will. Now he sees it. Now he understands this isn't what God wants. When we're present to our fellow human, when we say he nanny, we understand God differently. By the way, that's a radical statement. When we are present to our fellow human, we understand God differently. And I believe that what God wants is for us to be present to our fellow human. And now let's flip it around. When we're present to our fellow human, that's where God dwells. So I want you to go with me to Exodus 25. This is the creation of the tabernacle. The tabernacle is the place where God is to dwell. And there is the outside space where people gather. There's an inner space where the, only the priest can go. And then there's the Holy of Holies where only the high priest can go once a year. What is in that Holy of Holies? What's in there? The ark. The ark is in there. And what's in the ark? The tablets. The broken tablets and the full ones. And then above the ark, on the cover of the ark, are two cherubs. Now, cherubs is a word that when I heard it as a kid, I had no idea what they were talking about. And when I learned about it in college art class, I thought that they were angelic little people with wings. Little babies. No. A cherub is a human. These cherubs faced each other. And they had the wings of an angel that curved up and met at the top. And where does God dwell? In the space between the humans. God dwells in the space where humans are facing one another. That's in our shared sacred text. God dwells in the empty space when humans face one another. When humans say he nanny, it creates space for God. And I want to suggest that as we go into 2019, that we are deeply aware of how people's inability to say he nanny to one another has fractured our society. And that our modeling and our living hineni to one another is going to be that which can change our society and our world. Our ability to be fully present. Our ability to seek to understand. Our ability to listen with heart. To look for another person's uniqueness and needs. To see them for who they truly are. To hear what's said and unsaid. And reaching out in a way that the person needs. That is the place where God will dwell. And as I come to you and envision what we can do together by living Hineni. I want to share with you how Hineni has changed me. Every week we do Torah study at 9 o'clock. You're welcome to join us. Or at worship at 10 or at worship at 11.30. Or at lunch at 12.30. Really. Every time we study Torah together and I will share a verse and I hear another response, different maybe even than the rabbi interprets, my understanding of God and who I'm meant to be gets changed and lifted up. In the presence of fellow human, we understand God differently. When we host Home and Hope here, which is a program I hope you come to know, Home and Hope's a program that rotates from church to church to church to synagogue. Homeless families live here for a week. And it's not the homeless, it's people 
It's people who, by the grace of God and only through bad luck, are in this circumstance. And we see them. We see their divinity. We make a delicious meal. We sit and eat together. We take care of the kids. The program gives job training and helps people get back on their feet and back into housing. Three to five families at a time. We say Hineni. And when I say Hineni to those people, it changes me. And it changes how I understand God. And it changes how I understand humanity. There was a woman who came one year when we first started and said, oh, Rabbi, I want my child to see the homeless. Can we see their cots? And it just annoyed and upset me because our job is to receive people with love and presence and see their divinity as opposed to diminish them by seeing them as the homeless. Hineni has changed my life. 16 years ago, I was in the pool with Ethan, who's here today. Ethan's, Ethan is now 18. He has let us know. I was a young man for what I'm about to... No, I wasn't, he says. Well, I was a young man for what I'm about to describe. I was 41. And all of a sudden, I started to have a little tightness in my chest. It's weird. And I felt weak. And I was sweating. So we leave the pool. We get home. I call my wife who's here. And I say, you know, I'm just feeling I got chest pains. And I've got them when I'm weak. Something's going on. And my wife said, please call 911. And I said, oh, no. I'm sure it's just indigestion. I'll be fine. Why don't you just come home? We'll go see the doctor. And she said, please call 911. And I was a stubborn man. I am still repenting. <laughs> because we get down to the hospital, they do their tests, and they say, you had a heart attack. And I said, my wife is going to kill me. <laughs> and I share that story by the way, I'm, I am blessed to be extraordinarily healthy. I am the poster child for cardiac rehab, for letting a scare turn into a blessing, you know, and allowing it to say I need to take care of myself. But I tell you a piece of my healing in addition to wonderful doctors and medicine, the times we live in, an extraordinary wife, was all of the Hineni that I received. I'm not someone who saves cards. I saved every card that people sent me from that time. Because people's Hineni gave me strength and gave me healing. When we say Hineni to someone in need, it changes them. By the way, it's easier to be the patient receiving the Hineni than to be the loved one whose beloved is suffering. So eight years ago, my wife Mimi had a diagnosis out of the blue, a routine mammogram. You have breast cancer. And you need chemotherapy. You need radiation. You need an operation. And it was scary. Scary. I, you know, I... For someone who's supposed to know what to do and what to say, I had no idea. 
Fear was all I felt. I was scared. And I needed Hineni. And Mimi needed Hineni. People brought over meals. One of our greatest memories is Mimi was so tired and a woman just came and did the dishes. And we were so grateful for that. Listen to the thesis. When we say Hineni to fellow human, we come to understand God in a different way. We've come to understand God in a different way. We've come to understand what God wants of us in a different way. God wants us to be present, to take care of ourselves, to live with love and hope and joy. God wants us to respond to people in ways that they need rather than we think they need. We learned to become people who when we called someone to visit in the hospital, we would say, hey, I'm right by the coffee stand. How about I bring up a coffee or a tea or an ice drink or a snack? We learned to be the family that said, you know what? I'm at the store now. I'm going to pick up a chicken or, you know, some eggs. What would you like me to pick up for you? When you specifically ask what people's needs are, you're saying hineni in a different way. In a way that they can receive. When you just say, what can I do for you? I'll do anything. People don't know what to say. Our experience has taught us how to live hineni. And you know, I, I wish I could tell you that it was all positive. But our personal health challenges taught us that people often have trouble saying hineni for all that they may care. The person who heard about Mimi's cancer and said, oh my God, my sister had that and she died. That was not hineni. <laughs> It's like, you know, share, you know, spare me your story. But, you know, we get caught up in our stories. You know, when we tell people based upon our stories, are you doing this or that treatment? Well, that's none of your business. When I had my cardiac incident, it caused anxiety here. I understand that. I understand that. It's a sign of love. But sometimes people translate their concern into saying things they just shouldn't say. Hey, Rabbi. You need to lose a few pounds. Well, it's like, by the way, that may have been true, but it was not Hineni. Those are easy examples. The truth is, it's, it's more subtle. I was, I was saying to, to one of the guys in my office between sermons is that I'm amazed at how much I want to live this and how much I embrace this and how much I use my spiritual tools to live Hineni. I talk Hineni, people respond hineni when they see me, but you know, I sometimes am so distracted. I sometimes I'm in such a rush. I sometimes I'm so full of judgment. My worst parenting moments when I, were when I wanted to fix my kids rather than just be present with my kids. We let our discomfort define us. We're too busy, we're too distracted, we're too full of judgment. We can't be with people who are different because we don't know how to break out of the way we are all of the time. And Hineni calls us to be uncomfortable. Hineni calls us to be present fully. Hineni calls us to be quiet and listen. To truly embrace a resolution of Hineni calls upon us to do hard soul searching and resetting and say, where am I not doing Hineni? With the belief that we can change and have a new beginning. 
Our world needs Hineni. We can live it every single day. And I want to share with you something that is such deep gratitude that I feel. Two months ago, it feels just like yesterday, yet so long ago. My community was rocked and traumatized by the shootings in Pittsburgh. A racist gunman came into a synagogue and killed 11 people. We're reeling. This was the first time in American history that this happened. Someone entering a synagogue. We shouldn't have... We take it for granted. And this hit a chord. It hit a chord because we're so aware of the deepening racism and hatred and intolerance and anti-Semitism and Islamophobia that's going on in our country. And this felt like another example. It hit a chord because the stories of those who were lost were so poignant and their lives were so precious and their loss was so painful. This hit a chord in this community because in this community we lived through something traumatic. I mentioned before that in 1979 this building burned down. Some of you who are from this area remember that. It hasn't been proven definitively, but it's suspected that it was arson. And when we had that moment of Pittsburgh, all of those memories came flooding back into the surface. We remembered standing in that parking lot, and for all that I wasn't there, I was there. And Rabbi Teitelbaum said, you have permission to cry. We remembered glimmers of light in that story. A piece of this story is Cantor Cohn, who was also here for decades. Cantor Cohn, who is also still alive, God bless him, was born in Berlin. And as a little boy, as a 12-year-old about to celebrate his bar mitzvah, he was there for Kristallnacht, the night of the shattered glass, where the Nazis burned down the majority of the Jewish synagogues And he watched his synagogue burn down and he watched the firemen stand with their hoses at ready in case the fire went to a nearby house. And when Cantor Cohen rushed to the synagogue here in 1979, the Redwood City firemen were valiantly fighting the fire. Four were injured. One agreed to run into the building with him to try to save the Torah scrolls. One tourist girl that was in a different place was saved. The others were burnt. They're out here. I don't know if you know this. You don't throw away a destroyed holy scripture. You bury it. You give it the respect that you would a human. And so as you come to live in this site and to make it your home, I want you to feel the history here. I want you to be able to know the stories of the Torahs that are buried on this patio. And I want you to know that as we were re-experiencing that trauma amidst new trauma and ongoing realities that are painful to face, you were there for us. You said Hineni. 
You said Hineni. There were flowers on my desk from the pastor and the elders saying, we stand with you. There was a call saying, if anyone wants to come to our worship services, they are welcome. Hineni. It wasn't just Hineni, we feel your pain. It was Hineni, we feel with you. You came and cried with us. You came to the vigils. You came to the memorials. Boy, when a hundred people from this congregation streamed into our services, the Shabbat after Pittsburgh, we felt a little bit of light amidst darkness. You said Hineni. And my faith, which at times falters, my faith in the goodness of humanity, especially as I'm witnessing what's going on in our country, my faith was restored. Because when you say hineni to each other, it impacts how we understand God and God can be present. I knew that there were people I could stand with, people of goodness, people from all types of backgrounds and beliefs who say we will not allow racism to be victorious. We will not allow hatred to live in our country. We will not allow what has happened in Pittsburgh to define us here. Your Hineni allowed us to reaffirm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jesus who teach us to love our neighbor and to be a blessing. And just like with Abraham, the Hineni between humans impacts our faith. And it's more than that. I have one more verse for you. This verse is from Isaiah 58, and we read it on Yom Kippur. And this is a verse where God says Hineni to us. It's when we're talking about fasting. Has, has anyone here fast for a whole day? A few of you do. It's kind of become a health thing now. You know, if you want to do a Jewish fast on Yom Kippur, you have to know the word oi. Oi, I'm hungry. Oi, what the rabbi said reminds me of, of bagels and meatloaf. Oi, page 90, the zero looks like a bagel. You know, and you, you get caught up in your discomfort and you whine. And Isaiah comes and says, is this the fast I want that you're sitting there whining? No. No, this is not the fast I want. I want your fast to make you empathetic with those in need. I want your fast to cause you to understand those who suffer. I want it to unlock the fetters of wickedness, untie the cords of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break off every yoke, share your bread with the hungry, take the wretched poor into your home, clothe the naked, then God's light will burst through and when we call God, God will say, Hineni. God says, Hineni, when we say Hineni, to those in need, to those who are difficult, to those who need us, 
Hineni changes everything. And I believe that our shared worship in this building leads us to action, sometimes separate, sometimes together, which will cause God to say, Hineni. And my prayer for 2019 is that our saying Hineni to one another and to those in need will cause God to respond, Hineni. And as we let the spirit that's generated in this room through our shared goodwill and our commitment to justice and goodness and caring, a world in desperate need of healing, God responds, Hineni. God bless you. God bless you. Together, let us move into this next year saying, Hineni. 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 Amen. Thank you. Outstanding. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.